into the markets. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, Orion Samuelson here to take a look at the week's records and everything else that happened on Wall Street and in wheat fields and corn fields and soybean fields and livestock feed yards. And beginning with today, because the dateline is Friday, November 15, Scottsdale, Arizona. Although I spent most of this week in Kansas City, Missouri at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention, we'll have some thoughts on that. But let's begin on Wall Street because we ended today with the main stock indices hitting record highs, fueled by fresh optimism. And how many times have we heard this? over a potential calming of U.S.-China trade tensions and by a strong forecast from semiconductor industry bellwether applied materials. The benchmark S&P 500 on track for its sixth straight week of gains because White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow said late Thursday that the United States and China are getting close to a trade agreement, citing what he called very constructive talks with Beijing. But I'll say it again, how many times have we heard that over the past year or year and a half? But looking at the numbers, the Dow Industrial Average up 157 points today. It ended the week at 27,939. The S&P 500 gained 18 points to end the week at 3,115. And the NASDAQ composite added 55 points to end the week at 85,34. All three indices hit all-time highs during the session today. And health care led the way among the S&P 500 sectors, up 1.5%, helped by increases for Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer. And all 11 sectors of the S&P 500 were in positive territory today. Shares of applied materials up 9%, after the chip gear maker forecast first quarter revenue and profit above Wall Street expectations. Data today also showed U.S. retail sales rebounded in October, but consumers did cut back on purchases of big-ticket household items and clothing, and that could temper expectations for a strong holiday shopping season. But when we look at the weekly changes, the S&P rose for the sixth straight week, the longest weekly streak in just over two years. And the Dow Industrials, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ all closed at record highs today. We'll take a look at one other market that we always check on the program. And that's oil prices. Oil prices up nearly 2% today. Again, optimism over maybe we'll get a trade deal finally with the China government working on that. But Brent crude gained a dollar two cents a barrel to settle at $63.30 
while West Texas Intermediate Crude uh, rose 95 cents today, it ended the week and the day at $57.72 a barrel. So that's what we did historically this week, and it certainly was another historic week with the record set. But now what do we look at next week? The earnings report season certainly slowing down, but it's not over. Home improvement retailer Home Depot expected to report a rise in same-store sales in its third quarter on Tuesday, boosted by demand for its professional equipment and services. And investors will keep an eye on any updated outlook on the impact of the U.S.-China trade war on consumer spending during the holiday shopping season. On Wednesday, Home Depot's rival Lowe's companies expected to report an increase in third-quarter same-store sales boosted by its products geared toward high-spending customers as well as a sluggish U.S. home-building sector that is leading consumers now to spend more on renovating their homes. Wednesday of next week, retailer Target Third quarter sales and profit expected to show an increase, but the focus will be on its quarterly forecast for, yes, the holiday quarter when it rakes in the most sales. Target earlier said it would offer shoppers free shipping and other perks to bring in customers and was opening dozens of permanent Disney stores within its own stores to capitalize on the demand for toys during the season. Tesla Incorporated CEO Elon Musk on Thursday Thursday, plans to unveil a long-promised high-performance electric pickup truck at an event which coincides with the Los Angeles Auto Show. That's starting on Friday, where legacy automakers will be trying to attract attention to their newest models. Tesla's electric pickup aims to outshine the Detroit 3 in a segment that drives most of their profits. And then other activity to look at next week. Realtors, uh, National Association of Realtors, likely to show existing home sales increased to an annual rate of 5.48 million units in October. That would be up from 5.38 million the prior month. And of course, on the same day, the Labor Department likely to show initial jobless claims declined to an adjusted 220,000 for the week ended November 16. Tuesday, department store operator Coles Corporation will have third quarter profits that will likely take a hit due to the department store retail chain's investments in online expansion. Department store Macy's on Thursday expected to post a decline in third quarter same-store sales dented by deep discounts on its merchandise. And on the same day, department store operator Nordstrom likely to report a decline in third quarter revenue and profit as that company struggles to boost sales at its full-price stores in a really tough retail market. 
tech giant Alphabet Incorporated's Google on Tuesday expected to launch a browser-based video game streaming service dubbed Stadia that attempts to capitalize on the company's cloud technology and global network of data centers. And then let's look at the apparel industry. Apparel retailer Gap, which only last week announced the departure of its longtime chief executive officer, Art Peck, will likely show a drop in third quarter same-store sales and profit. That'll happen on Thursday. The biggest question for investors on that will be how the company navigates through the busy holiday season weeks after the exit of Peck. Focus will also be on the performance of Old Navy. That's Gap's strongest brand, which it plans to spin off as a separate publicly traded company next year. Uh, there's lots more. Packaged food maker J.M. Smucker likely to report a decline in second quarter revenue and profit on Friday. Company hurt by growing competition from private label brands. The discount store operator, the TJX Companies, on Tuesday expected to post an increase in third quarter revenue helped by opening of new stores and remodeling of existing ones. Medical technology and services company Medtronic will report second quarter results on Tuesday when it's expected to post an increase in quarterly profit. And how many of us have somewhere in our body a product of Medtronic? I certainly do, a pacemaker and a couple of other items that uh, almost turned me into the bionic man. So that's what's going on during the week. And on Monday, uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland President Loretta Mester participates in a fireside chat hosted by the University of Maryland. So a lot going on next week. Will it be a record week as we saw on Wall Street this week? Well, who knows? Anybody's guess. But it will again depend on what happens with that China-U.S. trade situation. We're going to uh, talk agriculture. Max Armstrong will be checking in with the guest that he interviewed in Kansas City this week at the uh, National Association of Farm Broadcasting annual event. And uh, so Max will be joined by Alan Suderman, who will be talking about what else? China, oh, and weather, maybe. So stay with us here on the markets. Well, on this weekend show, as we visit about markets a little bit, we're here at the meeting of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting with Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be here, Max. Good to see you, sir. We have had all of these crop reports during the year that have been so disappointing. Uh, gazing into the crystal ball, that one looming out there in January, will it disappoint too? Well, it, I think it'll disappoint. I do think that we will see a smaller corn and soybean crop in the January report, not as small as what a lot of people would like to see on the producer end. Um, but I think we will see some more shrinkage. And then watch the stocks reports as we go through the year. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, low test weight corn going into bin wet this year. 
Uh, you always pull fewer bushels out than you put in. And that low test weight means there's lower energy content in that corn. That means more bushels required to make the ethanol that you desire and more corn needed to make the gain that you need in livestock. Uh, we saw a similar scenario in 2009, and we had a big uh, stocks report surprise in June 30th of that year, following year. Uh, where suddenly it implied feed usage a half billion bushels larger than what was anticipated um, that came from. And so, you know, whether it'll be that big or not, you know, we'll have to see. But I do think we will see some shrinkage as we go through. That June stocks report is legendary for surprises, it seems like, isn't it? It it really is. And that kind of gives us a feel for uh, how accurate the USDA was in estimating the size of the crop in the first place, how much shrinkage we had in the bin, and what was feed usage during the year. What grade, by the way, thinking of it, what grade would you give USDA for its performance this year? Well, we know how farmers feel. Yeah, uh, USDA NAS is the envy of the world. Their surveying methodology, I think, is good. I do have problems sometimes with the results. It has more, less to do with the integrity of the process and more to do with, uh, f- for example, putting a wet, low-test weight crop into the bin. That needs to be factored in somehow into the production in, uh, environment when they do their stocks reports and figure up total production. So those quality problems aren't adequately evaluated by yeah, it's a methodology issue, is understanding the ground, how, how things work on the ground. But uh, I want to speak for their integrity. I think they try to do their best at uh, coming up with the best numbers they have and communicating it as such. This propane gas situation, is it having an effect on dislocating the supplies, reallocating the supply that's available to the market? Is it showing up at the basis, for example? It is creating some problems. In some cases, elevators quit taking corn because they run out of propane to dry it down. And obviously, some of this corn is just way too wet to put in without being able to dry it down. So it slows the harvest. That get, increases farmer anxieties. We see winter starting to come and uh, creating problems that way. Um, so it's just another disruption in a very disruptive year. What do you think about the amount of yield adjustment USDA made in the November report? Were you comfortable with that? Did they go as much as you thought they would? Well, I thought they needed to do more, um, but I'm not going to argue with USDA numbers because that's what the market's going to trade. And uh, I've got enough gray hairs on my head to know that when you try to go against USDA in the markets, it just does, it doesn't end well. And so we have to build our plans around that uh, Uh, those numbers we have. I do expect a little bit more shrinkage. I said back in late July, I thought this would be 160 bushel corn crop, plus or minus three. Um, Is 163 the top end of that range still possible? Possible, not likely. I do think we could get up closer to 165. Is that enough for a bull market? No, but it does help keep some support underneath of the market. It's striking how much is still out of the field. Uh, that's, That's what you notice when you look at places like Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, 15% of the crop harvested. Uh, I feel for the farmers up there. Unfortunately, we'll probably be harvesting some of that corn in the spring thaw. We want to talk a little more with you here, not just about the domestic situation, but we, we have to watch the world closely, don't we? We really do. Everything evolves around China, whether we're trading with them or not trading with them. That's what it revolves around. We'll be back to visit with you a little more about that. Arlen Suderman, our market guest this weekend, as we will move our discussion into talking about China. Arlen, of course, is with INTL FC Stone. 
Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Arlen Suderman is back here with us from INTLFC Stone. We grow weary of the news about China, the tweets and the back and forth, the setbacks that are taking place. Why doesn't the market grow a little more weary and not respond as much as it does? I mean, we, we watch the equity markets and the response is immediate there. Yeah, as frustrating as it is, uh, the funds really are dominant in the markets with the computers and with the uncertainty of the last year and a half, uh, many of the computers have simply gone to trading uh, chart signals, uh, whatever momentum is there and whatever direction is there. We have sensed a shift in that uh, over the last couple of months. has been more optimism toward maybe a partial deal with China. I think both leaders need a deal for various reasons. Obviously, the impeachment inquiry uh, gives President Trump a need to have a political win uh, and also to have a good stock market going into the election and also support the farmer base. President Xi Jinping has significant problems at home with the shortage of protein, meat with African swine fever claiming the, uh, half, the world, uh, half of the hogs in China. Um, and actually 60 to 70 percent down on feeding for pork production, probably down about 50 percent because they're feeding them to a lot heavier weights now. Uh, and then the pro-democracy demonstrations in Hong Kong. So they both need a pause in this. Um, but will they get it done is the question mark. If they do, we see a lot of money flowing into the commodity markets along with the equity markets. If they don't, then they could all go short again, be shorting the commodities again. So we're really at a pivotal time. A partial deal, does that hold a promise for bringing some market response? Well, a partial deal is going to focus a lot on the ag commodities. Yep. There's going to be other factors as well as currency and, and some IP, intellectual property protection stuff. But it would focus on the agricultural commodities, see if they can come up with an agreement on that. I don't expect it to really be a bullish um, factor for the soybean market because African swine fever is hurting demand too much. I do think it could do more than is anticipated for the corn market. Uh, China could u- really utilize some of our ethanol. Uh, they could use some of our corn to blend with some of their lower-quality corn that they have. That They could use 1 to 2 million metric tons of wheat to blend with some of their lower-quality wheat. Um, they're even, even with the African swine fever, they've shown some interest in grain sorghum, and they've made some purchases of grain sorghum, but also in DDGs. But if they took some DDGs, ethanol, in uh, a little bit of corn, that could dramatically uh, change the attitude in the corn market. Has there been buyers, uh, some buying by other buyers in the world, anticipating that China might come into the market? In other words, some have some of our other customers, such as in Southeast Asia, acted to protect themselves. We don't get the feeling there's any big sense of buying urgency. We've seen a little bit of it in the soybean market. We've seen it in the pork market. We really haven't seen it in the other commodities too much. Uh, because the other commodities really aren't being discussed. And uh, I think if they would start being discussed, we would see more of that. What about the domestic ethanol industry and ethanol exports? For all of the talk about the renewable fuel standards violations, if you will, how much of a difference has that made to the corn price that there hasn't been that adherence to what the corn growers and, and the ethanol industry wants to see? 
Well, it's definitely been a factor over time. Uh, it, it's made us more dependent on the export market. Uh, and the export market, China, is a key factor in that. Um, China has put heavy tariffs on them. We were starting to move the ethanol anyway, and then the trade war broke out, and they just kind of shut the door on the ethanol that was going there. They could really use it. Uh, but also when you look at some of the regulations, the amount of ethanol that we send to Brazil is still smaller than what Brazil sends to California. So if we could, and it's identical ethanol, so if we could just change those regulations where California, for example, needs uh, the more advanced uh, ethanol, which is identical chemistry, we could dramatically increase demand domestically. We always appreciate the visits with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone. Farm broadcasters, both radio and television from all over the country, gathered in Kansas City, Missouri this past week for the 75th year that the farm broadcasters have been getting together. And, of course, they like to talk about the issues of the day. They like to have guests on the program that can discuss with some authority the issues of the day. But we also welcome the opportunity to say hello to friends that we have known for years because... Well, some of us have been members of this association for, in my case, I think 62 or 63 years that I've been involved with the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. And in addition to the get-together and the reminiscing and all that, we do pay tribute to some broadcasters who have accomplished a great deal during their career. This year, I was especially proud of the fact that we inducted two honorees into the Farm Broadcasting Hall of Fame. And I've had the opportunity to work with both of them. First of all, Max Armstrong, who has been my partner for 42 years. And of course, we just heard him doing an interview from that convention But Max was inducted into the Farm Broadcasters Hall of Fame. And Tom Stever of South Dakota, South uh, the Stockyards and KSOO Radio, and uh, a lot of work in that part of the country. He was also inducted into the Broadcasters Hall of Fame for Farm Broadcasting, and I had the opportunity to work with him for a couple of years. So, proud event there, and uh, also Steve Bridge, who we work with, and he works with us on our television show, This Week in Agribusiness, received an award for his coverage of a trip to China that was headed up by former Secretary of Agriculture John Block, and uh, Steve did, well, he did about uh, 13 different reports for the television show on that event. And uh, some former Secretaries of Agriculture, John Block, moderated a program. John, of course, was Secretary of Agriculture during the Reagan administration, and uh, Tom Vilsack, also there. Tom was... uh, Uh, the Secretary of Agriculture more recently than uh, John Block, but he's now president of the Dairy Export Council. And uh, Tom Vilsack had some encouraging words, and it's about time we get some encouragement for dairy farmers across the country 
And we'll talk about that just a little bit, because I'm talking about that on my Samuelson Says program, my editorial this week on many radio stations across the country. But then we ended on uh, Friday today with the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. And it was interesting listening to him because he has come under fire, well, by the union of employees who work in the Agricultural Statistics Division of the Department of Agriculture for taking that report Uh, the monthly reports and all of the other number reports that we get from USDA and which they've been putting together in USDA headquarters in Washington. But now they're going to be putting it together in offices in Kansas City. And so besides talking to the farm broadcasters, Secretary Sonny Perdue said today that he has, quote, absolutely zero regrets about moving the headquarters of two research agencies from Washington, D.C. to Kansas City. Despite continuing criticism, the move would harm agricultural research and make it less available to federal lawmakers. Purdue joined political leaders from Missouri and Kansas in touring the new headquarters for the Economic Research Service and the National Institute of Food in Kansas City, Missouri, and to celebrate a move that he said would improve researchers' work by placing them closer to farmers, colleges with agriculture experts, and hundreds of private agribusinesses He said he was surprised by the opposition that erupted in Washington when the plan to move about 550 employees to Kansas City was announced in June, but he still believes it was the right decision. He said, I thought we were doing the right thing, and I am convinced today even more so, having been here and seeing where we will be on the ground, that we did the right thing. Secretary Perdue said, I applaud this decision, I celebrate this decision, and I have absolutely zero regrets of beginning this process and finishing this process right here in Kansas City. But there is opposition, of course, and opposition came from the union that represents uh, many of the workers that are unionized in the Economic Research Service. Laura Dodson, the USDA economist, called the idea that moving to Kansas City would help the agency's agricultural research. She called it, and I quote, patently ridiculous. She said, we do a national level of research, suggesting we would be better researchers. Seeing a single cornfield in one state is wrong. We are in service of national agriculture. We service all, not just one region or a specific few. So that was the criticism, but uh, Secretary Purdue just kind of waved it off and said he thinks it's a good move. Speaking of USDA, the department said today it will begin making a second round of 2019 trade aid payments to farmers here in the United States next week. The payments are the second part of a three-tranche $16 billion aid package announced in May 
to compensate farmers for the U.S.-China trade war. And of course, we know what that war is all about. So farmers will now be eligible to receive 25% of the total payment expected in addition to the 50% they already received in the first round of the 2019 package. The payments, and I'm quoting again Secretary Purdue, he said the payments will give farmers who have had a tough year due to unfair trade retaliation and natural disasters much needed funds in time for Thanksgiving. Sign-ups for the payments will run through December 6th, and if the conditions warrant, then a third tranche will be made in January of 2020. So look for that, and maybe it'll give you an opportunity to have a little better Thanksgiving because of that happening. So uh, where did we go uh, market-wise this week? Uh, Well, up and down. We do that every week. But in agriculture this week, we saw the uh, livestock hog futures reaching a two-month low as U.S. packers process more pigs, and that sent prices lower. And uh, we saw the December lean hog contract uh, reach their lowest price since September 11th, ending up 45 cents at $63.20 per pound. Grain market, soybean futures crawled higher today. Increased optimism again. Here it is. The U.S. and China may soon strike a deal to ease their trade war. And so we saw those prices reacting to that today at the Chicago Board of Trade. And so there's both red and screen, uh, green on my screen. December corn down a nickel a bushel. December wheat down a nickel a bushel. Uh, but soybeans for the November contract uh, gained uh, one and a quarter cents a bushel. So that sums it up. Our time is gone. Thank you for joining us. Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson here on The Markets.